One of the things that I've just been thinking about recently is the fact that relationships, um, any type of relationship, friendships, uh, romantic ones, they, they're not static. Um, they're, they're kind of like a living thing. They're a bit more like a garden plant than they are a chair. And the, um, uh, what happens with relationships inevitably is, that, is they grow and they develop. And with all sorts of relationships, there are certain points where you probably find, oh, I felt like we took a leap forward there in, in understanding one another. And uh, for me, one of the ones that I, I remember is when I was dating Beth back in the early days. And we, uh, we went for lunch somewhere once. And I remember her making a comment. And she just said, um, I had like third helpings or something. Um, and she just said, oh, you're a little piggy. And we had a little chuckle about what a piggy I was. Um, and then uh, we went for a picnic about a week later. And I remember we're sitting on this blanket. And we got all the food out of the out of the um, box and just put it on the blanket. And Beth said, oh, is this all the food we have? And I said, yes, it is, you little piggy. And at that point, I realized it's okay for Beth to call me a little piggy, but it is not okay for me to call Beth a little piggy. Um, and it was, a, it was a learning curve in our relationship, a step forward. It was not a happy picnic. Um, and in, in a way, I think our relationship with God is is. It's, it's similar in that it grows and it develops. It's, it's not a static thing. And there are times where we, we learn and discover new things about him. I didn't know that before about you. But also, I find often it's, it's about relearning things, the same things we knew about him, but we just it's like we discover them in a deeper way. And um, one of the things that I've been coming back to recently is that Jesus talks a lot about God as our Father and not, not just that as a truth to enjoy, but the implications of that. One of the things that it means that God is our Father. And uh, that's what I want us to ponder together a little bit um, this morning. So there's a scripture I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. And it says, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God crows the, glass, the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. And um, Jesus, when he's giving this talk, he is talking to people who are living at a time of economic uncertainty, constant economic uncertainty. In those days, um, you know, most of the people Jesus would have been speaking to would have been involved in farming in some way. And all you needed was one bad season and you were basically ruined. There was no safety net. So we can appreciate why they might have been a little bit stressed about what they were going to eat and what they were going to wear. And his reason, what he says to them, a reason not to worry is not, um, don't worry, 
the weather's actually going to be a lot better than you think this year. Um, don't worry, the economy's actually going to take an upward swing this year. That's not what he says. Uh, nor does he say, don't worry, the government's got this. Pontius Pilate is going to put his head together with Herod, and they're going to come up with some kind of recovery package for the nation, and so we can relax. Nor does he say, don't worry, because you've got a lot of savings in the bank. And he doesn't say, don't worry, because you're a really resilient person, and you've been through difficult things before, and you're going to work out how to get through this next one. No, what he says is, don't worry, because, here's the reason, your heavenly Father knows what you need. You have a Father in heaven, and he knows what you need. And as part of the same talk, he gives us a prayer to praise, the Lord's Prayer. And it starts with the words, our Father. And then about halfway through, there's this line that Jesus tells us to pray, which is, give us today our daily bread. And um, when we think about the fact that God is our Father, one of the things that the implications of that, the so what of it, is that we have a Father who will provide for our needs. And it talks a little bit, just even that line about how he's going to go about doing that. So the line is not, we don't, we're not told to pray, give us this year our yearly bread, or give us this month our monthly bread, or give us even this week our weekly bread. But what he says to pray is, give us today our daily bread. It's, it's, it's a daily coming to him. That's part of the way that he provides is day by day by day. And if, if you think about the Israelites in the wilderness, um, God provided bread from heaven, literally manna from heaven, but the manna only ever lasted a single day. And you think, surely God could create new, longer-lasting manna that would have a week lifespan or a month lifespan, but, but every single day, not because he couldn't come up with another way of doing it intentionally, the manna would last one day, and then they would come back the next day for more. And uh, it reminds me of, you know, babies, when they're born, we just had a beautiful example, um, they, they wake up every time they need something, which is all the time. And we've had four, and uh, I've, you know, I've seen it all happen. They, they need milk all the time in the, in the early months. And, you know, you think, Lord, you are the creator of the universe, and you've, there's a glitch here in your creation because we're, we're knackered. You know, it's particularly hard on the guys because they have to put up with the ladies being very grumpy. And uh, I was wondering how it was going to go down. But it's, don't say, scratch that for the 630. Um, it's, you know, it's like, it's, what couldn't he have created, like I remember Ali saying to me once, couldn't he have created a camel's hump on the baby so that, you, you know, you get the baby and you just feed it and feed it and feed it and feed it. And then it's got enough milk to last for about three or four months. It doesn't need any more. You can just go to sleep and sleep. Um, wouldn't that have been great? And, but actually, he does it on purpose this way because what happens is when the baby needs to be fed, he comes to the parent and there's, there's not just physical sustenance that's taking place, but there's babies need love. It's not just about the, the milk, it's about the bond that's being formed. It's about intimacy. And so when we think about our father, I'd love it if he would just provide for all of our needs today for the rest of the year but that's not so often how he chooses to do it. It's like he wants us to trust him for a lifetime, but he breaks it down into 24-hour chunks. And so it's about trusting him for our needs today, and then again tomorrow, and then again the day after. And what happens as we do that is we find ourselves drawing close and falling in love with him in a whole new way. And 
just if we, if we just ponder this, this truth that God is a father who provides for us, a question we might ask are, what, in what way? Like, what are the ways that he provides? And one of the ways, the obvious one, is he gives us so much that we just forget that he's given to us in the first place. We don't even appreciate that this is from him. Sometimes we're, we're, we're so looking for a miracle of provision that we forget all the provision that's, that's taken place just when we woke up in the morning. So this reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever watched The West Wing, but um, there's a scene in The West Wing where President Bartlett, who is a believer, um, is frustrated because he's, he'd been asking God for an answer to a difficult decision. He felt like God didn't give him an answer. And so he finds himself sitting with a Catholic priest and saying, I'm pretty frustrated. You know, I, I really asked God, and I didn't feel like he gave me any kind of supernatural guidance. And the Catholic priest just tells him a story. He says, you remind me of the guy that lived by the river. And uh, one day, this guy's by the river in his house, and there's a radio announcement. And the announcement says that the weather's going to be terrible, the river's going to flood, all the residents need to move out. And this guy says to himself, well... I'm a religious man, you know, I, I, I pray, God loves me, God will save me, I don't need to go anywhere, and so he stays, and the waters start to rise, and after a little while, a guy comes along in a boat, and he calls out to the guy in the house, he says, hey you, in the house, hey you, he says, you know, I'll take you to safety, get in the boat, and this guy in the house yells back, I don't need to, I'm a religious man, I pray, God loves me, God will save me, and so he stays. And the waters rise even higher. And then this helicopter comes overhead and they see him down there. And they yell out, hey, you down there. Hey, you in the house. I'll let down a rope ladder and you can climb up and we'll take you to safety. And the guy yells back, you know what? I'll be fine. He said, I'm a religious man and I pray and God loves me. And so I'm going to be fine. Well, the guy drowns. And then he finds himself at the gates of heaven. And he's pretty frustrated. And he says, I want a word with God. And so God comes to the gates and they have this conversation. And the guy says to him, you know what? I'm a religious man. I pray. I thought you loved me. Why have you let this happen to me? And God's reply to him is, I sent you a radio announcement, a guy in a rowing boat and a helicopter. What are you doing here? And the point the priest is making is, you know, he, he guides us, but so often it's just in ordinary ways. He provides for us, but so often it's like we don't even notice it. And yet the scripture tells us every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like the shifting shadows. Where's his provision for me today? It's in that I woke up. It's that, it's that the sun is shining and the air is fresh and I've got a heartbeat, and I've got air in my lungs, and I've got a mind that works half the time. and That's his provision for us, so we start there. Every good and perfect gift really is from the Father who provides for us. But then we can get a little bit more specific. So if everything good is from him, let's name a couple of those good things. Here's one way that I've noticed God seems to provide for us. Sometimes God our Father provides for us by, by bringing people into our lives. He gives us people. And you see this in uh, lots of places. One of my favorites is when Paul uh, is talking about how hard set they were. He's writing to the Corinthians and he says, look, we had, we had trouble outside, we had fear inside, but then he says this, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. 
He said, we, we were in a bad state, trouble on the outside. Do you know what that feels like? Fear on the inside. We all know what that feels like. But then the God who comforts the downcast comforted us. How? By sending Titus to cheer me up. And this is a theme that you see in Paul's life. So when he becomes a Christian, he's been killing Christians. And so no one wants to have anything to do with him. And then God sends Barnabas to Paul. He sends Ananias first, actually. Then he sends Barnabas to encourage him. Later in his life, when Paul and Barnabas end up having a bit of a fallout, Paul must have been devastated by that. And the very next thing that happens is Paul meets Timothy, who becomes for him a spiritual son. Sometimes he, he, he provides for us by sending us people. I don't know if you can think of someone you think, actually, maybe that was the Lord who sent me that person. For me, one of the people that I think of, um, and there isn't, I'm, this isn't a joke, but is Mike. Um, I love that our church is so set up that I have to clarify, this is not a joke when I refer to him. Um, but uh, genuinely, you know, I was a 17-year-old, and, and, and by the time I met Mike, I was, I was emotionally just very shut down. I was very, I think, if you'd met me, I would have come across pretty cold, I think, as a person. Uh, a lot of walls that I just built up myself, and um, I took myself very seriously. And God, with his sense of humor, brought me somebody who is literally the polar opposite on the end of the spectrum in so many ways. This over-the-top emotional Greek comes into my life. And it's like putting a snowman, me, next to a blast furnace. You just, I just melted. And, and what happened is, you know, there's, there's a lot of things I celebrate about the, the result of Mike bringing, you know, God bringing Mike into my life. I love that I get to do this. I love that I'm part of this church and things like that. But the thing that really it caused me to rejoice is the healing that's come in my life because of, because of my friendship, because of this person he brought to me. So sometimes he brings us people. Another way that the Father provides for us is he, he answers our prayers. You know, when we bring specific prayers, he answers them. And I know even as I say that, I'm so aware that all of us here probably will sit here thinking, well, I can name a few prayers he hasn't answered. And I can name some things where he answered it, and the answer was no. And, um, you know, I know, because I know some of the stories, because we've chatted about how painful that is. But the real tragedy, somebody once said, is not um, unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. It's that we find ourselves getting to a point where, as his children, we don't expect much from our Father, so we don't even ask. Whereas believers, we don't believe much in God's goodness, and so we don't even come. And, and it's part of the journey of this, and there is a mystery to it, and it is confusing, but it's learning in the midst of sometimes the fact that we don't see the answers we hoped for to still expect and to still trust. And, and for me, part of my story, again, when I've seen him answer this prayer is, um, because when I was hurt as a teenager, um, what happened is I just, I thought, that's never going to happen to me again. And I just shoved all the pain down and numbed it all. And what I didn't realize at the time is that you can't really selectively numb your emotions. So if you numb the pain, you also tend to, tend to numb all the joy as well. And, and then when I became a Christian and I started to meet people at this place, I thought, I'm missing something. There seems to be a, a lightness and a joy that I just don't have in my own life. And so I thought, I'm going to have to try and change. And I tried really hard. And I had, up until that point, managed to do okay by trying really hard at quite a few things. But this was one I just realized, I can't do it. I don't know if you've ever tried to grit your teeth and be joyful, but it doesn't work, right? And I just, I just found myself so in agony. And I'd hardened myself, to the, but I couldn't unharden myself. 
And so in the end, I came to him with that as a prayer. And um, there was this verse from Ezekiel where God says, I will take your heart of stone. And that's what mine felt like. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I just brought that to him. And I said, I can't do this heart surgery on myself. Please, would you do it? And it's too long a story to tell now. But over a couple of years, he just softened me. And I remember there was this one time when uh, we were at a festival with thousands of people and I came forward to receive prayer and Mike had been talking, absolutely hadn't mentioned anything of this. And this random guy just came up to me and he just said, I just feel like God wants to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, just out of the blue. And it was like, yes, Lord, that's what I want. He's, there's a long way to go, but what I found is he really has changed me in a way that I could never change myself. The Father's provided for me in that way. Here's another one. In suffering. And Jesus suffers. Um, you know, we can think the Father's provision for us is a life without suffering, but, but that's not going to be the case. Um, but what we can find is, in the midst of suffering, sometimes he provides by taking the suffering away. Other times what he does is it's like he, he, he gives us enough to, to let us know he's with us in the pain. He's with us in the suffering. So um, one big one for me, and if you're part of the church, you'll know a bit of the story here, but my, my third son, Caleb, was diagnosed with a genetic disorder when he was in the womb at 20 weeks. One of the symptoms of that is he, he has a serious heart condition that meant he was going to have to be uh, operated on at one month old. Now, as soon as we got that diagnosis, we started to pray that God would heal him and that he wouldn't have it, but he didn't. And when he was born, uh, he had to go ahead and have the operation. And, and I, I struggled with that a lot. And I, I, you know, I longed for answers to prayer, but I got some, just not what I wanted. So um, one of the ways that the Lord spoke to me is he just said, um, he reminded me of a bit where Paul is going to Corinth and he's really scared. And the Lord just said to him, don't be afraid because I've got many people in this city. And we were going into an unknown situation. I just felt like the Lord gave that to me. He said, don't be afraid because I've got many people in this place. Um, and then what happened is I just kept bumping into Christians everywhere. Literally, I couldn't move for finding a Christian. So I remember when Beth was in labor, it just so happened that there was a doctor who was on shift, who's part of the hospital, who came in, um, who's a friend of ours, into the, into the, literally when Beth was having contractions. She brought with her some other random Christian lady who also worked at the hospital. And they both started praying and inviting the Holy Spirit when Beth's in labor. So Caleb was literally born in a ministry time. And then I remember that he had to be taken from us and we couldn't go with him. And so he got taken up to the special care baby unit. And it just so happened, I hadn't met Deji at this point, but Deji was the pediatrician on, on, on care. And so he went, my, my little boy, to be cared for by my brother, who I'd never met before, who was a pediatrician at the hospital. I went to register Caleb's name, and I sat down opposite the person, and it turned out they'd been to the Soul Survivor Festivals, and they knew who I was, and we started talking about Jesus together. Um, he went to the Royal Brompton, where he had the surgery, and if there were six, six nurses on a ward, the one that was a believer got assigned to Caleb's bed, and it just became a running joke. I can't move for finding believers, and it was one of his ways of saying, in the middle of it, I'm here. Uh, another sign of his provision for us is when the operation had to happen, there was this particular thing that needed to be put into his heart, and there weren't many of them around. And in the end, we prayed, and Caleb got the one, the one that was available in the whole country for him. 
when he went to nursery, he starts at school, just sort of like a morning a week, and the school said to us, you will never get one-on-one -on -one care. It just doesn't happen for nursery kids. And we pushed all the doors and we prayed, and he's got one-on-one -on -one care full time. And, and these are the things where you think, okay, you, you are with us. You do provide. Yes, I wish you provided by taking this whole thing away. And how many of us have got a prayer just like that? But in the meantime, whilst we wrestle with the mystery, and we don't pretend those questions are not there, and we're honest with him and with ourselves, even in the midst of that place, we come to him and say, Father, this is what I need. And we trust that Jesus is telling us the truth, which of course he is, that the Father knows what you need. Another way he, he provides is, I love that the prayer is, give us today our daily bread. This is like the most basic of foods. Give me some hovis. Give me the basics. And, and, and following him, we've got to remember as well that he cares about our basic needs. So when Jesus is talking to this crowd, they're worried about what they're going to wear. They're worried about what they're going to eat. And for us, um, Beth and I, since we got married, we've just been on this adventure, it's felt like, of learning to trust God for provision, for for. for financial, physical provision. And what we've tried to do, and we haven't always done it very well, um, but what we've tried to do is we've tried to live how he says, try to put him first in our finances and serve him and not money and, and try, if we can, to, to be generous in the ways that we read the scriptures and then trust him for everything else. And what we found is he, he's good for it. And so we're in a different financial state now, uh, years later, but in the early years of our marriage, we, we the numbers just didn't work. They didn't add up. Um, and so we would find ourselves in positions where we were not sure how we were going to make it to the end of a month. And, and because of that, we'd have to come to him. And then he would just, so often, he would just do something just wonderful. So sometimes it's just the ordinary. It was the rowing boat. It was that Beth would get work that was outside of her normal job, and she'd get paid for that. And that's how we'd make the ends meet that month. But other times, it was just stories that, that we still look back on and treasure. So one of my favorites is I remember there was this one Saturday um, where we, we were really, it was a bigger gap than normal at the end of that month. And I was just wondering, how is God going to do it this time? Is he going to do it this time? And, uh, and then I was just doing some admin on a Saturday morning, and I, I saw that I hadn't closed a bank account that I'd had for, for years since I was a teenager. And when I got married, I'd, we got a joint bank account. And this was years later, I thought, I really need to stop this, if only so they stop sending me these bank statements that tell me I have 10p in my bank. So I went down to NatWest, and I said, I want to close this account. And they said, what do you want to do with the money that's in it? And I said, well, there's only 10p, but I'll take it, right? Every little helps. Um, and, and then the, the lady said to me, but what about the other account? And I said, what other account? And she said, you've got an e-savings account. And I have, frankly, no recollection of what, I must have set this up, but I've got no recollection of, of when I set this up. And then I said, well, how much is in the e-savings account? And she said, 700 quid. And I said, shut up. And she said, no. And she I made her turn the screen around because I couldn't believe it. And I'm not the sort of person that's just like, oh, 700 pounds. I was mislaid. I'm not, I don't remember that. I was like, this is crazy. And, um, and I still, to this day, am not really sure where it came from. But it was, I rang Beth afterwards. I said, you're never going to believe how he did it this month. And then there was a, a, another story. Beth said the real miracle was getting me to do some admin in that whole story. But there we go. Um, there was another time where, I love this one, um, 
we, we just got to the end of the month. We had 10 pounds left. We had a few days of the month to go. We were not worried because we had food in the freezer and all that stuff, but we just had 10 pounds. And we had a connect group, and after the connect group, someone said, can you give me a lift home? So I went to give this guy a lift home, but it was a bit of a drive, and we had no petrol. So I went to the petrol station, and I just put 10 pounds in the tank. And then I went to pay, and just as I was about to pay, this, this guy from the church, came, this other guy from the church came running in, and he said, stop, God's told me I'm to pay for your petrol. At which point I was kicking myself, because I was like, I should have put 75 quid in the tank, right? <laughs> I only did 10 pounds. But it was just like, he didn't need to do that one. He just did it. And it's like, it was just his way of just saying, hey, I, I'm here for you. I've got you, and you can keep living like this because you can trust me when I say I'm going to look after you. You seek me first. I take care of the rest. And there is, um, you know, another story that I love is, is actually Ali tells it about her parents who are here worshiping with us this morning, so you can check it with them afterwards. Um, but to, to, to summarize it, uh, uh, Ali's dad was a pastor of a church, and they felt called out of ministry to do something different, but they got a house with the job. And, um, and so when they were called out of ministry, that was huge because they were going to lose their house. And the council wouldn't rehouse them because he was voluntarily leaving that position. And they, they were allowed to stay in the house for a certain amount of time. But when the deadline started to approach, they started to get concerned and they started to pray that the Lord would provide for them. And it got closer and closer to the point where it was just a matter of days before they were going to have to leave and they were going to be homeless. They hadn't, you know, the business that he was going to end up starting hadn't got going, so they weren't able to get a mortgage. And so there was one morning where, as a couple, they went to the church um, and uh, they were at church and they'd been crying out as a family for God to do something. And this couple approached them um, who were visiting the church that day and they said, we've heard you, you know, we think you might have a need. What is the need? And they said, well, we need a house. Can you imagine saying that to somebody? And then it turns out this couple said, we want to help you get one. And so they, 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 they helped them get a house, paid the down deposit on it, um, helped them with the mortgage until the business was thriving and, and they could take it on themselves. So they were able to come home from church that morning with some brochures for houses and saying, we're going to go shopping. We're going to go shopping girls for a house. And Ali talks about how she would go to sleep in the early weeks, every night with her hand as a child pressed up against the wall because it was such a physical sign. It's not about bricks. It was such a physical sign of a father who knows what we need and provides for us always. And for us, as we look um, at the stuff on the news and we worry about the hikes that are coming in October and the hikes that are probably going to come in January and it, it's scary. You know, we worry for ourselves and we worry for the people that we love. And yet what the Lord says to us here is don't, don't look at the energy bill and chase after that. Don't look at the food bill and chase after that. Don't look at the mortgage and chase after that. What he says is seek the Father. Look first to the Father. And what you will find is that he, he, you get him and then everything else along with him. He will provide for us the people that we need. He will answer our prayers. He will give us those things that we need to get to the end of the month. And the reason he'll do that is ultimately because he is for us in a way that we sometimes struggle to accept. We have a father who loves us and who will provide for us.